everybody and welcome. This is episode number 42, Blue Creek Outdoors. You're listening to the Wilderness Tamer podcast and thank you so very much for tuning in. Now, my guest this week is Joe Barlett. He is a freelance video photographer that produces his own hunting show as well called Blue Creek Outdoors as the title. This man is hunted from Alaska to Africa and just about damn near everywhere on the North American continent except a few places. Now, before I let y'all go to enjoy this episode, let me give a quick shout out to the sponsor of this podcast. First off is Dry Pocket Apparel. They are the future of swimwear. They come with an integrated dry bag as a pocket with a self-sealing magnetic strip that is certified to go 100 feet down, and it will keep your phone dry as a bone. So go check them out on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and as well as drypocketapparel.com. Y'all, I just got a new pair of the black shorts from Dry Pocket Apparel. They are the most comfortable swimwear that I have ever put on my body. There is no tight spots in the crotch. You can squat. You can throw a roadhouse kick in these babies, and they will flex. So y'all, please go check them out. Y'all will not be sorry. Y'all will love these shorts and as well as their dry bags. They are awesome. They're a great piece of kit to have on the water or whatever you're doing. Even if you're hunting in the rain, those dry bags work. I keep mine on my bag just for that reason. So y'all go enjoy this episode. It was a fun one, and y'all have a great week. Thanks again. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode number 42, Blue Creek Outdoors. Let's get Josh Barlett on the phone and get this podcast rolling. See if technology will work with me today. There it goes. Hello. Hey, man, can you hear me? There we go. Yeah, that's better. Help. Yeah. <laughs> the first time I tried to call something went haywire, but I don't know. But, man, thanks again for taking the time again, and I apologize for the first time. I don't know what in the hell happened the other, the other night. It just disappeared. <laughs> yeah, stuff happens. Stuff happens for sure. It's, uh, it's uh, one of those things. Oh, for sure. Technology will screw you any way it can. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> If you want to, introduce yourself real quick, and then we'll get into it. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, my name is uh, Joe Bartlett. I uh, started Blue Creek Outdoors a couple of years ago trying to make hunting videos in as many places around the globe as I can, and just been uh, trying to do that as much as possible, and that's kind of how I ended up here on this podcast. So. <laughs> Heck yeah. If I was say, it's just a happenstance by the universe that you just came across my feed, and I was like, yeah, this seems like a pretty good guy to have on. Seems like you've been everywhere, like wow. a Johnny Cash song. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. It's kind of weird that you say that, actually, because Johnny Cash's son followed me on Instagram yesterday. <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> that's pretty badass. Yeah, kind of pumped me up a little bit. Heck, yeah. But, uh, well, how's your current season going, man? Y'all done anything cool or gone anywhere, any cool places this year? Yeah, we had a pretty good, uh, pretty good fall and the winter season, you know, so I've kind of found that if you're willing to travel a little bit, then you can never really have a true off season but we just got to uh um, got back from mexico filmed a coos deer hunt down there uh, my first time being in mexico so that was pretty cool to be able to come back from so that's currently what's uh on on the list to get edited here shortly but uh, we're kind of just re- getting stuff back and organized from that trip and getting ready to leave again here in a couple of weeks but yeah that was a pretty epic trip i would highly recommend going down there and hunting coos deer so we're at mexico we're all hunting uh, we were in Sonora. We actually weren't that far south of the border. Um, there was one spot That sounds like a dangerous spot. <laughs> Usually hear Sonora come know. through the newsreel every now and again. Yeah, you know, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, um, you know, when I went to South Africa and went to Sonora, it was like one of those things where a lot of family members were a little bit concerned and stuff, and you hear all this stuff on the news, but you go down there and it's nothing quite like you hear, and the people are great and you have a great time and you know obviously i'm sure you know there's places where you need to pay attention and be careful and stuff like that but we had we had nothing but a good time down there it was awesome so heck yeah so did y'all just find an outfitter down there or how'd it go yeah yeah we used uh, sonora's premier outfitters they do pretty good pretty good job they have a camp that they hunt coos deer and mule deer out of um so we we just were down there and you know we get up in the morning in glass and then if nothing happened in the morning come back take a nap eat lunch kind of hang out and talk for the 
for the middle part of the day, and then in the mornings we'd go back out and glass some more. And my buddy and I doubled up on koozie right right with each other within a couple minutes of each other, which was pretty cool. And then uh, the third guy on our trip, he killed a really nice one. Um, the following evening, so three coos deer down in two days, which was pretty cool. So that's pretty good success right there. Them guys know what they're doing. <laughs> they do. They definitely do. Those guys were picking deer out of hillsides. That you, you know, you'd you'd go look in their spot and scoping, and there's a deer, and you know it's there, and you're still having a hard time picking it out by yourself. It was kind of a, it was kind of a, you know, glassing was the name of the game down there. And coos deer were fun because you saw them enough. Uh, you would spot one frequently enough that it kept you pretty engaged, but they were hard enough to find that you were pretty proud of yourself when you did find one. So it was a really fun time. Oh, I bet. Now I've heard that like kind of for Western hunting, they say you need like a tripod or something or to set your binoculars or glass on, because if you're just hand holding it, you're not going to be able to see shit. So would you recommend yeah. having a bipod to kind of help, or I say bipod, a tripod to set your glass on to look? Yeah, I definitely would. You know, a lot of times I kind of use my binoculars as kind of a a quick reference thing. I, you know, if I'm keeping an eye on something, I already know it's there. That kind of a deal. Um, when I'm looking for something, I actually have um, the uh, the compact series of the Vortex Laser HD Spot and Scope, so it's a really small version of it. But oh, okay. um, I'll set that up on a tripod and stick it up to my eye, and it has a really. Um, I've got the uh, um, Vortex High Altitude tripod, and it's got a pretty pretty easy head to, to to rock with so i i just use that and i scan hillsides and you know it's only one eye and you're no oh, yeah uh, you know i gotta pay attention to keep a look out but using that thing and using it working a grid i usually have pretty good luck with that thing so yeah that the spotting scope or the, the the tripod makes a world of difference for sure okay now what kind of, what was the temperature like down there was it hot or was it more than winter time if mexico has a winter yeah, it, uh, they, the outfitter told me it sometimes snows like once or twice a year, maybe. But I don't. But I think if I remember correctly, he told me it had not snowed down there this year. Um, but in the mornings it was pretty chilly. Um, late afternoons, I, I'm guessing it was around 70. I guess. Oh, that's pretty in the good. Late afternoons, but as soon as the sun went down, boy, it got chilly real quick. Oh, that's I bet. one thing I've kind of learned about the desert is uh, it's hot in the day, but when the sun goes down, that place cools down in a hurry. So. Oh, I bet for sure. I've never been out in the desert myself, but that's what I've heard. It says you could be sweating your balls off one day or in the daytime, and at nighttime you got on a puffy jacket trying to stay warm. Oh, yeah, it gets real cold. <laughs> now, kind of the coos deer, are they kind of a blend between whitetail and mule deer, or are they more on the whitetail side? Definitely more on the whitetail side. They kind of have that same basket rack. Um, they were definitely more of a grayish um, color, a little bit more uniform. They do have the, the white flag tail that they'll flip up when they're when they're spooked at something, but they don't quite have the white patch in the chest that um, uh, mule deer and white tails have that I noticed. Um, mm -hmm. But they uh, they do blend in out there. You know, when those hillsides are a little bit away from you, you know, six seven hundred yards away that gray color kind of just blends in. Um, they do a really good job of staying still and not being seen. So their nicknames, the, uh, their nicknames, the gray ghost, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. The gray ghost of North America. They do. They just kind of, if they stop moving, they're tough to pick up again. And, uh, you know, they're a lot smaller than a whitetail on average. And, uh, even at our size, a hundred inches makes Boone and Crockett. Um, oh. I can't remember what it is for a whitetail, but it's considerably less. So, yeah. Um, they don't get you know a whole lot of horn growing but they are they are a really small elusive critter and they're super fun to hunt heck yeah man so how did you cut your teeth hunting how how did you grow up and get into it yeah my dad uh grew, uh, grew up hunting so when i was born um just kind of was something that the family did uh my dad killed an antelope when i was uh, in his backpack i was about two weeks old so it was uh, a <laughs> pretty, yeah. pretty quick introduction so, yeah um you know, and then growing up watching hunting shows and like that and just kind of really became enamored with um, all the different places around the globe and all the different species there are out there. So that was, from a pretty early age, it's kind of one of my goals to be able to chase as many different species in as many different places as I can see. So. Oh, for sure, especially. But uh, now you said you started videotaping. What age did you kind of get into video photography? Yeah, I was uh, so I taught third grade for a few years, and uh, you know I'd always wanted to make hunting videos, but it's kind of one of those things you you grow up, you go to college, and you tell yourself you got to get a real job and join the rest of the world. Um, so I was married. We were I had a teaching job. My wife's a nurse, and 
after a couple of years of that, I really just got to the point where I was just like, you know, I don't want to be 50 years old wishing I would have tried. So, you know, me and my buddy that partnered in on it with me, we bought a camera that we realized now wasn't the greatest camera in the world to buy. And we uh, said this year we're going to go film Spring Bear. And we did 10 days up in northwest Montana. We filmed a Spring Bear hunt. And we said, no matter what happens, we're putting it on YouTube. And it is garbage. <laughs> it is the worst video. But we... We committed to putting it up there, and, you know, we did it. And uh, we've just been every time trying to make a video that's, you know, not quite as bad as the last one was. And we've been pretty lucky with the places we've gotten to go and see, and hopefully we're getting better. The views seem to reflect that a little bit, so hopefully hopefully we just keep improving. So. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's a learning curve just about every time you go out in the woods. You're learning something new. Yeah, for sure. It definitely is. Now, what kind of camera, or I say camera gear, to keep all that stuff going, what kind of battery packs and gear do you carry today versus back you know, then? Yeah, so we're uh, we're suiting uh, Sony PXW. Um, right now, it's uh, kind of the upper end of as far as like uh, handy cams or camcorders go, films in 4K and all that stuff. Um, and the video, the, we have external batteries. Um, you know, we're, we're getting better at also um, conserving battery in the way we shoot, but also the goal zero, um, we have some goal zero solar panels and that kind of stuff that has really served us well in the back country. As yes. far as I got one of those myself and they do good. As long as you got good sun, yeah. they work. <laughs> yep. Yep. They're definitely a lifesaver. And, uh, you know, we, we film one day and then stick those batteries on the charger the next day and kind of try and rotate and keep them fresh. But we've had a couple of close calls with cold weather and stuff like that as far as not having much battery to go to finish a hunt. But for the most part, we've had pretty good luck with those cold zero things. Oh, I imagine out there in Mon Wyoming or Montana, it probably that cold air probably sucks it right out of them. Oh, yeah. It's, it's pretty incredible how, you know, a 70-degree hunt and a 10-degree hunt can really affect your, uh, your <laughs> amount of video time. It, it doesn't last that long. I think uh, I filmed some coyote hunts in central Montana this winter and it was it was cold cold and i think in a single day i went through more batteries than you know i've gone in three or four days in the fall sometimes in nice weather so it, it really makes a huge difference that's awesome now do y'all carry like and carry your stuff in like pelican cases or just stuff in the pack or how do y'all carry it through the woods so, it kind of depends on the hunt you know if we're traveling yeah everything's in pelican cases and stuff to fly and stuff like that but mm -hmm. um you know we've done I've filmed a couple of backpack hunts, um, you know, for multiple days, eight, ten days up in Alaska, and been down here as well. And it's that's one of those things where you're putting it in in backpacks, and or or two, just carrying the camera as you're packing in because you don't want to miss something. So, putting stuff in a in a as safe as a place as you can, that's easily accessible to get to, and um, you know, trying to make make the best out of it that way. Those those multiple day things, those when you got to start planning ahead big time as far as batteries and. You know, even if it's one thing where you're just going to eat up some miles today and nothing's really going to go on, if that camera's not easily acceptable or accessible, something cool is going to happen and you're going to miss it. So having it in a place that's easy to get to is pretty important. I heard that. Now, kind of, when did you, I'd say you hunted Wyoming and Montana. To me, that's an adventure hunt. But when did you go on your first adventure hunt where you're like, holy crap, this is a big deal kind of thing? Um, so 2019, I was actually still teaching. Um, and, uh, you know, we were, you know, I, at that point I didn't have a, a plan to quit teaching at all, but, um, I did tell my wife, I said, you know, I, I've wanted to hunt all over the world since I was a little kid. And she knew that the whole time we were dating. So we kind of planned ahead and we went and hunted, um, the roe deer rut in, in Southern Germany, um, in July of that year, it worked out pretty perfect in between school years and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. that was the first time. Um, that we went over and did something that to, to us was a pretty big deal. You know, we did film it and made some not great videos out of it, but those were pretty early in the video making that we were doing. So, oh, cool. yeah, now, that was a pretty cool thing to be over there and, and learn their traditions and see a different species. And, and that was my first time out of the country. So it was a pretty big deal. I heard that. Now, how, uh, also, how do they hunt over there? Is it kind of you get in stands or you're kind of like a deer drive? So we hunted, we hunted some stands over there. Um, their rut was right kicking, so they were out in the fields a little bit in the evenings. But those roe deer, they're pretty small deer, and they don't travel that much. They live in a pretty small home area. So a lot of, too, what we did was uh, the guides would get all ghillie suited up, and we'd go hide in the bushes and call, and the bucks would come in pretty hot. You know, they were, uh -huh. they were upset that somebody was in their area, so they like were coming a, in. And like a deer grunt or a doe bleat? 
Yeah, well, it was like a fawn bleat. He said kind of the idea of it was that if you were doing a fawn bleat, um, it made it seem like um, a buck was chasing a doe around and the fawn was trying to keep up with him. So then the other buck would come in wanting to know who was in his area and in his business. Oh, okay. Uh, so they, they came in hot and heavy, and they were a lot of times it was pretty quick. You know, you were just waiting for the guy to whisper in your ear if it was a good buck <laughs> or not to take a shot. But yeah. it was pretty fun. It was a good time. So that kind of sounds like elk hunting. Like you'll hear him say, do a calf mew or something like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yep. That's pretty cool. Now, I saw you going to Africa as well, because that's on my, well, it was on my bucket list, but nowadays the day, nowadays is a little bit different, and I still like to go. Where did y'all go in Africa? So we went to South Africa um, this first trip. There's a lot of countries in Africa that I'd like to spend time in for sure but south africa is a is a pretty good place to for us to start anyway it was awesome it was it was a really good trip um you're hunting mostly private land down there we're gonna go back next year and hunt some some more open range stuff down there but mm. yeah it was a really good trip to see just a ton of different species the outfitter we went with they took us on an overnight trip to kruger national park while we were down there too and mm-hmm. um that's just it's a it's just a it's a cool place to go down there and see um, they have a lot of different varieties as far as climates and different, um, you know, they have some desert, they have some, some mountain areas with pine trees like we have here at home, which was pretty cool to see. And then just the okay. diversity of wildlife is mind blowing. So yeah, I bet. I mean, for Africa, you think it's just like desert and all that. So you say it's pretty diverse, uh, I guess, yeah, uh, nature and all that I should say. Yep. Yep. Definitely. It was really diverse. It was cool. What animals were y'all going after? So my wife and I both killed uh, uh, an Impala, a blue wildebeest, and a blessed buck. And then I killed a gray diker and a blessed buck. Or, I mean, sorry, a spring buck. Let me ask you this. I might have it confused with the other animal. That diker, isn't that like a deer with a – do they have fangs? I remember there's something, or that might no. be an Asian deer. Yeah, yeah, the Chinese water deer is one of them that has fangs, and then musk deer as well. They also have fangs. But the, the gray diker is one of the really small – it's a pretty small antelope. Um, South Africa actually has what's commonly known as the tiny 10, um, just 10 different antelope species that are all really small, and it was one of those. So mm-hmm. um, it was pretty fun, pretty fun hunt. You actually spotlight for those at night, which was super cool. Oh, that's different. You don't get to do that too much, yeah. <laughs> especially in North yeah, America. It was, it was, yeah, it was one of those things where, you know, you kind of get through your head that it's okay where you are to do that. So. Yeah. Much like I say, hunting hogs and coyotes down here, they – Pretty much in Georgia, you can do what you want. As long as you can get a hold of them, it don't matter. Not. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, were y'all hunting blinds, kind of just riding around and looking, or you know, how are y'all hunting them? Yeah, it was, uh, it was one of those things where they have a hunting truck set up with seats in the back, and you're just, I mean, you're seeing so many different animals on a daily basis that you're just, you're kind of just driving around and seeing what you bump into, and then, uh, you know, if you end up spotting something, um, a couple times we spotted animals that getting off the truck would have wasted too much time we shot a couple things right from the truck which is also legal down there which felt felt kind of goofy but um you know you can't be messing around too much but most most of the time we were spotting an animal from the truck and then making a stock from there so well to be honest if i was in africa at night i don't think i'd be getting too far from the truck just saying yeah (laughs) you know man yeah that was one thing too but they they kind of assured us where we were there was there were some leopards around but they wouldn't bother you too much if you didn't leave if you left them alone so uh, i wouldn't put that in a chance yeah Yeah, it was uh it was definitely one of those things you were always wondering about what else was out there so did y'all ever hear any lions or see any elephants or anything like that no, we saw elephants in Kruger National Park, but we never saw any outside of the park and uh, didn't see any lions. We saw one leopard, um, but it didn't stick around too long. We It didn't want us to sit there and gawk at it very much. So oh, I'm it sure. walked away into the bushes, but that was about it. So that's I don't know if you're familiar with this movie. It has It's called Ghost in the Darkness with Val Kilmer. Have you seen that? Oh, that's about the... the um, yeah, the, the Sava. Yeah, the, the, book, two, the two brother lines that just pretty much... They were building that railroad... And they just slaughtered yeah. the workers. I mean, it's a great movie. Who hasn't ever seen it needs to watch it. It's a great one. Yeah. But it also scared awesome. the crap out of you, too. <laughs> yeah, for sure. The book was terrifying. The book was absolutely terrifying. Oh, I'm, yeah, the book's probably better. I haven't read in, reading it, but I'll say the movie, it was very good. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> now, uh, so you said you hunt a blue wildebeest. How did that go? That was, uh, that was actually the first animal that i 
killed in uh, in in Africa, and uh, that was that one happened actually pretty quick because we were driving and we bumped into two to three bulls. Um, there was two blue wildebeest and a golden wildebeest, which are actually really pretty, and they're just a color variation of the same species. So kind they, of a blonde they can in inter- a way. Yeah, super blonde. They can interbreed. They'll they'll do whatever, and you know, once in a while, kick out a golden calf. So that's cool. I didn't uh, know there was yeah, two different was, tops. Uh, yeah, two different types. They're they're really pretty. You can actually do what's called the wildebeest slam down there. It's a a golden, a king, a blue, and a black wildebeest. They're all really pretty. So now, so is yeah, the black was, uh, wildebeest the one off of like uh, Lion King and all that, or the ones you see on Discovery Channel where the crocodile or the fourteen foot croc comes out and grabs them? Is that the one I'm thinking most of? Most of those are blue wildebeest. Blue, the ones okay. That I've seen. Yep, yep. And there's there's a couple other variants of the blue wildebeest there's some different names people can get real into rabbit holes doing those things but the black wildebeest are actually really pretty they have horns instead of coming off to the side they actually curl forward mm. um and tip up in front of their head they're really pretty that's on my list for the next trip down there for sure but yeah the blue wildebeest was my first african animal so that was pretty special awesome now just you ain't got all you can just ballpark it how just for someone that might be interested what's a price tag ballpark wise to go hunt over there Oh, Africa by far is the best bang for your buck um, in, as far as anywhere in the world goes. Um, you know, in one trigger squeeze, you can spend 450 bucks, or you can spend tens of thousands of dollars. Yes. Um, we killed eight animals, um, that, nothing too too crazy expensive. You know, we, mm-hmm. we were kind of balling on a budget because I'd like to go multiple times instead of one one big trip but heard that um and then you know they charged us a little bit for the overnight trip to Africa to the Kruger National Park so eight animals in the Kruger trip and uh tips it cost uh, right at a little bit over five thousand dollars for the trip um, dude that really ain't bad but, uh, for I mean for no, licensing can, fees out of country and stuff I figured it'd been a lot more yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was a pretty great trip and it's a family operation down there. It was with uh, sensational hunting safaris. Um, they do a great job. Eat, eat dinner with the family every night and hang out, and they're, they're great people. And, um, you know, it's uh, if you're looking for a five-star wine and dine resort, uh, you know, which I'm not looking for, so that's that's <laughs> not the place. Yeah. Um, and there are places like that down there. You can go as upscale or as you want. But oh, I'm sure um, if you really got the money, thing. you could probably get the Rolls-Royce treatment. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, my family is our outfitters down in Wyoming, and, I've always kind of liked just the family atmosphere with normal people hanging out with normal people that are here to mm-hmm. here to hunt some really cool critters. So, oh, yeah, cool. no, I think, and I think airfare between the, I think for two of us at that time, obviously things changed, but I think we were in probably like a little bit over three grand for round trip airfare for the two of us. So. That's really not bad for a hunting trip, especially a memory that's going to last a lifetime like that. 100%. You know, it's one of those things that if you make it a priority and plan ahead, as much as you can and, and really commit to making it a priority it's it's very doable so how long was the flight over there and where did y'all leave out of oh it was terrible so we booked that trip um actually we were supposed to go the in 2020 um we were supposed to go so but then covid shut everything down yeah um so we ended up pushing it to 2021 and originally we were supposed to fly down to atlanta and then straight from atlanta to, to johannesburg south africa which i can't remember how long that one was supposed to be but it was just the one flight, and instead we had to fly from Seattle to the Netherlands, Amsterdam, and then Amsterdam to Johannesburg. And then on the way home, we flew from from Johannesburg to Paris, Paris to L.A., and L.A. to home, which was absolutely insane. Jesus, just so the world traveling there, man. The future, <laughs> yeah, hopefully in the future it's not that long of a trip for everybody. Hopefully, I don't know if they've opened that Johannesburg route back up, but hopefully they, or that uh, Atlanta route, but hopefully they have, so. Yeah, I heard that. Now, you said your family has an outfitter. How long have they been doing that? Uh, so my dad guided, you know, the whole time I was growing up, he would take his vacation and guide for an outfitter. He was a, he's actually a retired uh, police officer. And then when he retired, um, he went and got his own outfitter license. And I, I can't remember exactly what year that was in. That was seven or eight years ago, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe a little bit less. But, yeah, no, ever since then we've been um, – fortunate enough to take a lot of people deer and antelope hunting so a couple elk hunters as well but the business has been pretty much built on on antelope hunting in wyoming it's pretty it's uh that's if you're looking to hunt wyoming antelope stuff to beat and if you're looking to hunt antelope anywhere um in my opinion arizona and uh wyoming are the two states to beat with when it comes to antelope but wyoming's got more antelope than people and uh you know it might take a couple years to draw a tag but we do have people that come 
more years than they don't come to come hunt antelope with us. So it's mm-hmm. a really fun hunt. So you could say you got a pretty good chance to draw a tag as long as you put in or keep consistent, yeah, I should de- say. Yeah, depending on the area. Wyoming, you know, I cha- I grew up there and then changed my residency to Montana, so now I kind of see the negatives of it. But Wyoming gives you the opportunity to apply um, with a normal application or what they call a special application. And all that is is you can basically pay about double, I guess. And it, it really ups your draw odd depending on the area you're putting in for. Mm-hmm. Um, it grease the know, tracks think, a little bit, sounds like. <laughs> for sure, yeah. I think a normal... And in Wyoming, too, a lot of states, you pay like 20 bucks to apply. Uh-huh. And then if you draw the tag, you pay the, the tag license fee. Wyoming, you pay the entire tag fee to apply, and then you get a refund minus 20 bucks or something like that if you don't draw. So you got to put up the money to begin with, which isn't ideal, I guess. But, you know, a lot of people just make it a priority to say, make sure they make that a priority to come come to wyoming every year so i heard that now if for someone out of state just for instance when would be a prime time to come antelope hunting is it like during the rut or is it kind of just show up and we'll go look and see what we can find antelope in my opinion is kind of the one animal that it really matters the least amount um okay you know i think in, in wyoming those uh those applications are due at the end of may and then you find out i think mid-june if you were successful or not and uh right now i think it's like set to be june 16th this year or something like that and then that that day after is really when our phones start ringing because then people know whether or not they have a tag mm-hmm. and cool. uh, some of those seasons go into from august and then some of them go into november it really depends on the area you have and then the type of tag um, that you have because it'll vary, um, but no, honestly, rut, pre-rut, post-rut, it's it's it. You can, you're going to find antelope pretty much everywhere in all the areas that we hunt, and uh, we have some pretty good land leases as well to hunt some private land that's less pressured. So uh, we we've killed antelope September, October, November, and August even. So it it it's kind of a it's one of those species that there's a lot of them. We're going to look at a lot of them, and you're going to be able to choose your buck and if. If we get a blown stock or somebody misses one, it's not the end of the world. We're going to go find another one. So, yeah, I heard that. Now, will you say tags like down here in Georgia, you can kill 10 does and two bucks? How are the, that is nuts. it is, man? And I've, I have yet to hear of a person to fill up the tag out down. I'm sure there's people that have, but I myself, I yeah. think the most deer I've killed is six in a year, and that was six does. But how's yeah. y'all's tag system up there? Is it pretty conservative or a little bit more liberal? It seems like Wyoming is more conservative than Montana is. Um, that's partly why I changed my residency, um, and I live in Montana now. But mm-hmm. um, even as a Wyoming resident, you're going to be pretty hard pressed to, um, you know, for deer and antelope and elk. You're probably not going to have a, 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 you know, a cow tag or a doe tag as well as a buck tag or a bull tag. Um, you can in some areas for a couple of those species. You might be able to get a extra doe tags for antelope and deer and cow elk in some areas, but you're getting six tags in your pocket in Wyoming, especially for a non-resident. It's not happening. Not I mean, yeah. once in a blue moon, maybe, but not quite. Montana's a different story. I don't, I haven't looked at it for non-residents, but as a resident in Montana, I can, you know, I'll put several tags in my pocket as, as soon as the, the year starts when it comes to does and cow elk and then my just general tags as well. So I heard that. Now, I'll say, now, did you move to Montana, especially after the Yellowstone show, or did that have any influence on you? <laughs> no, I'll be honest with you, I haven't even seen it. <laughs> Me and my wife so, just watched it a few months ago. We got up, I think mean, it's like season three. We haven't watched season four yet. It, it's cool. Yeah. I mean, it's a good show. I like yeah. it. It's damn sure yeah, pretty. And most of people of, like it. Most of the time, I wasn't even watching what was going on. I was watching the background just looking, man. It's just so beautiful out there. Yeah, we uh, especially Western Montana and Western Wyoming. That's a, it's a really pretty pretty place to live. I actually came up to Montana for college. Uh, me and my partner, who started Blue Creek Outdoors with me, we played football at a small NAIA college up here in Montana. So that's how we we met yeah. and got this started. But yeah, Montana is definitely Montana and Wyoming. They're tough places to beat, especially the western part of the states as far as uh, as uh, beauty goes. Oh, for sure, man. Now you say uh, bear hunting. How is it up there? Did y'all do any good this year? Uh, so I did not kill a bear last year. I was wanting to make it three years in a row, um, but I didn't. It was it was definitely I didn't bear hunt in high school. I thought it didn't start until I was kind of 
almost done with college. I got really into it. It's, it's in my opinion, it's my favorite time of the year is spring bear season. But I didn't kill one last year because I was being super, super picky. Mm-hmm. Um, I could have killed several different bears last year, but I, I'm looking for for the one, you know. The brute. Um, <laughs> the yeah, that's boss kind of what I'm on a mission for right now. Heck yeah. Now, what are y'all hunting black bear, right? Yep, yep, we can't hunt grizzlies yet. I know. I think probably in the next few years we might be able to get a chance, but we can't hunt grizzly bears yet. They don't have a season at all? No, no. It started, we were going to have one. Um, so Montana, Wyoming, and Idaho, they delisted them, and Wyoming was going to kill, I can't remember how many they were planning on doing. It wasn't a ton. Idaho was going to kill one. And Montana was going to sit the year out just to kind of see how it went for those two, and then a federal judge in Missoula, Montana, blocked uh, blocked that season from happening. So um, we have, uh, yeah, and it was kind of it's going to be kind of, a, in my opinion, it'll be reminiscent of the fight with wolves. You know, there was a legal mm-hmm. battle for what felt like twenty years or so to actually begin hunting wolves, and now we hunt wolves and we have a stable population and a good wolf season so hopefully that'll end up happening with grizzly bears as well but yeah i believe predators they do need to be managed i mean they do otherwise they're going to wreak sure. havoc on the moose elk calves all of that yep yep and one thing that with the grizzly bears that i don't know a lot you know i don't hear a ton of people mention is they don't they don't reproduce as fast as black bears do they really don't um so you can't you can't quite be as aggressive with them mm-hmm. um when it comes to their numbers and stuff like that but i think you know a limited quota hunt with draw tags every year yeah, um, I think that would be just fine because we we have a bunch of them. There's there's a lot of grizzly bears up here, that's for sure. So. Yeah, I feel like it's alligators down here in Georgia. They're still on the list here, but man, I mean, every time you go out in the river or somewhere, there's a gator there. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I, there's plenty yep. of them. But yeah, I think they, it's you can hunt them down in Florida. Am I right? It's very ticky. I'll say that you yeah. got to put in time and yeah. accumulate numbers. For sure, gotcha. But. Now, uh, where else have you gone? Have you gone to Alaska any? Because I did see a doll sheep. <laughs> Were you videotaping that one? Yeah, yeah. So I've been uh, doing videos for an archery company called Bow Spider for a couple of years. And uh, the guy, David Merrill, who started and owns that company, his dad is an Alaskan resident. And uh, they had gone on two trips to try and get his dad and a, a doll sheep up in the Brooks Range and had been unsuccessful. And uh, his dad was 65 years old the year that we went up there a couple years ago. Hot damn. And, uh, that dude's a badass, man. Yeah, he, <laughs> he, he was, man. He was, he was a trooper. He, they decided they were going in one more time, and regardless of what happened, that was going to be their last uh, last try for a doll sheep for his dad. So he hired me to come along. I'd done a couple of commercials for him and a couple other videos. So um, I went along up there. We... David and I flew to Fairbanks. His dad picked us up, and we drove from Fairbanks all the way to the Brooks Range. Heck and, yeah! Uh, I was actually born in Fairbanks back when my dad was in the oh, Air Force. No kidding. Yeah, but the thing oh, is, they moved awesome. back when I was about three years old, so I didn't get to enjoy any of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we drove from there all the way to the Brooks Range, parked the truck, and spent t- ten days in there. We hiked you, to hunt with a rifle. You got to get five miles off the the pipeline either way. Um, so we hiked until we were out of that buffer zone and he killed a ram on on day eight of ten while we were up there and that was a pretty cool trip to be able to film so how many vertical feet did y'all climb for that hunt you know i uh we we started below i want to say the the road was around one thousand feet um Uh and then at a couple different points up there we were almost a seven um so we we gained quite a bit throughout that entire trip so that's awesome. Now, what kind of gear were you packing? Because like I, I, like I said, I, I want to go to Alaska one day, and all the guys I've talked to through the podcast so far, I'm trying to accumulate what everybody kind of uses so I can kind of narrow down my gear list. So when I go, I'll be yeah. ready. Yeah. Well, you know, I took, uh, I did roll the dice a little bit. I, uh, I took my, I have a Mystery Ranch Beartooth 80 pack, which was, which has been awesome for me everywhere I've gone. Mm-hmm. But I took that and I rolled the dice because I had. I had a camera, a backup camera, and then a DSLR in my camp and 10 days worth of food. So I was trying to skimp in everywhere, every year that I could. And it was uh, early August. I took a 30-degree bag and sprayed. <laughs> yeah, man. You got to get that. <laughs> Even that down here sometimes, okay. a 30-degree ain't enough. You got to get that sub-zero. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, uh, I was a little bit cold one night. But other than that, we were pretty uh, blessed with amazing weather, which was <laughs> which was awesome i don't recommend taking that gamble but it definitely helped me out yes from, from all the videos and stuff i've seen it sounds like africa is pretty bi- or africa i'm sorry alaska is pretty bipolar when it comes to weather 
It can be nice and sunny, yeah. and then it, all of a sudden a storm just comes around the side of a mountain and just wallops you. Yep, and the two of them, they've spent, you know, a ton of time up there, and they both the whole time couldn't believe the amazing weather that we had the whole trip. So that was that was super awesome, and we just ate mountain houses, and I took a bunch of snacks and stuff up there and just kind of limited, rationed every day out before we before I even left home. So I heard that. That's what um, I was about to ask. I was going to see if you dehydrated your own meals or you got the old mountain house. And I, yeah, no, I'm not super into that. I have a bunch of buddies that do that. They make their own food and everything, and I'll I'll just go buy it at the store. It saves me some time. So, <laughs> which ones do you prefer? I had the what was it the beef stew, uh, the eggs one's okay. <laughs> which ones do you like? Anything with eggs is definitely hit or miss. Any brand that with an egg in it, that's uh, you're rolling the dice on that one. I I think. But yeah, it's not a I'm real. A, I could I'm tell it wasn't a real egg. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely not real. <laughs> yeah. I, I like the peak refuels. I like uh, the mountain houses for the most part. I've had a couple different smaller brands, Alpine Air, and a couple different options. You know, mm-hmm. I uh, I actually have a Backcountry Fuel Box, which is a company out of here in Montana, and it's just a subscription. They send you every month to get a shoe box with. It's got one freeze dried meal and then a bunch of snacks in it too. So that kind of helps out with the variety in it, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. I don't like eating the same thing every day, but yes, because like I say, having a good meal when you get done hunting a day, hunting after a long day makes the difference. It gets you ready oh, for the next crucial. day. Yep. Yeah, going to bed with a full belly, that uh, that uh, cures a lot of a lot of problems that you have at that moment. So. Do you have any of those, like, gel energy tablets or anything like that, or would you recommend something like that? Yeah, I, uh, you know, I've, I, uh, I like to have a variety, so I pick up a lot of different stuff. I just, I've, you know, I have those Gatorade energy shoes and a couple other brands, the same thing, and a lot of granola bars and a lot of, uh, a lot of those gels or those uh, almond butter packets, those kinds of things, they kind of help out once in a while. I, me personally, I just like having a variety. You know, I've got a couple mm-hmm. buddies that'll buy an entire box of the same flavor of granola bar and live off that for 10 days, mm-hmm. and I have a hard time doing that. I like yeah. something different. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll, be, uh-uh. I'll be done with that one. Now, let me ask you yeah. this. Now, for Alaska doll sheep, isn't there like a little loophole law where you got to be in Alaska, have someone that's an Alaskan resident or a guide? Isn't that true? To be able to hunt one of those? You, if you're not an Alaskan resident, you have to have a guide unless they're a direct relative. A direct um, relative, that's right. Yep, so it's got to be a, a brother or a, a parent or a son or daughter, that kind of thing. I don't think, it, and I might be wrong about this, but I don't think it can even be two steps away. I think it's got to be a direct relative. Okay, which I mean, I understand that because that is probably some of the dangerous country to hunt in North America, I'd say. Yeah, it's pretty gnarly. It's pretty gnarly. The only, the only downside to that rule is a doll sheep hunt is running around twenty grand right now. A grizzly hunts running around twenty grand, and a mountain goat hunt running around anywhere from thirteen to twenty right now as well. So it's if you're not an Alaskan resident, they are costing you some money if you want to go up there for those species. So yes, that will definitely be a later on in life venture because I yeah, I consider sure. my hunting career uh, or the pinnacle of my hunting career is being able to go hunt go hunt one of those. I mean, I don't want to yeah, do it all the time, but I do want to check that box. Yeah, definitely. I, I just pray that when I have the money, my body can still do it. <laughs> yes, that's another thing. You got to beat that biological clock. <laughs> yep. Now, what kind of boots and uh, rain gear or clothes did you take? Um, so I I wear mostly sick of stuff. I just really enjoyed it ever since I bought it when I was in college. I enjoyed it. Um, I have a lot of buddies that wear First slide or Kuyu or all that kind of stuff, Scree and that kind of stuff, those all seem just as good as the rest of it too. When it comes mm-hmm. to rain gear, I have a hard time spending a ton of money on reindeer because I don't I don't spend that much time where I live in the rain. So I just have a couple of Cabela's rain you yeah, know, rain gear. You know, I'm not yeah, I don't want to spend a ton of money on something I'm not gonna use that much. So mm-hmm. uh, oh, but yeah, sure. I kind of prefer the sickest stuff. It's soft and quiet and lightweight and keeps me warm, so Oh yeah, for sure. Like I said, I haven't gotten into the Sitka yet, but I got a bunch of buddies who are duck hunters, and they they preach by it. They love it. Yeah, yeah, those waterfall guys are really into it for sure. <laughs> as far as boots go, I like a softer boot, which most of the people I know actually don't like that. They want a harder boot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, my feet are going to get wet regardless, so I like a boot that dries quicker and is more comfortable to walk around in. That's kind of how I see it. But uh, most of the people I hunt with prefer a stiffer boot. But yeah, I can see that probably help grip on that shell now is, is it like shell rock up on the mountain is it just like or how is it 
Yeah, a lot of that stuff up there with shale that you're just praying the whole shelf doesn't give loose and slide down the mountain. It was Good Lord. a lot of it was you don't you can I mean I don't know how far did down into it you could dig, but it was a lot of just a big big pile of loose rocks is what a lot of it was. Damn, that's crazy. Now, yeah. did y'all just go hunt up there for doll sheep, or have you hunted anything else in Alaska? No, so I uh, we hunted up there for doll sheep. That same guy, um, him and his brother, they're going to go um, hunt mountain goats on Kodiak Island this August, and we're going up there to film that. Oh, wow. And then uh, my partner and I, while we're up there, we're going to go down to Prince of Wales Island and hunt black, sick of black-tailed deer while we're up there, too. So oh, sweet. we're going to spend some time in Alaska this fall. That's awesome. I was talking to a guy, it's a guy in Southwest Alaska who I had on the podcast and he got drawn for the elk hunt on Kodiak Island. And I thought that was pretty badass. Oh. Yeah. The Roosevelt elk up there. Yeah. They're hard to get a tag for. That's awesome. Yeah. Now I will say this, aren't there like their elk are big, but aren't the bear bigger on that Island because of the elk? I've, uh, I've seen some pictures of some bears up there that really uh, kind of make you think twice about stepping outside, but Yes, he sure. <laughs> he preached on. I asked him. I asked him this. I was like, "Would you prefer a ten millimeter Glock?" He's like, "No, you want that five hundred Smith and Wesson because his brother ended up shooting a bear, a big old boar that come in on him after he shot a sow. So, and he oh, killed geez. it with that. So I was like, "That's that's a brass cigar, you know, shooting out of that thing." Yeah, but it's crazy. Yeah, no way. So in Montana, I know we're kind of jumping a little bit. Uh, how's elk hunting going? How long have you been doing that? Uh, so I, I've hunted elk, you know, ever since I was in high school and stuff. And I've I've killed a couple elk, but I I'm kind of still. That's one of the things I'm on the mission for a really decent bull. I've never never killed a good bull, but right now, since we started hunting wolves in uh, like 13 or whenever it was in here in Montana, and now in Wyoming that they're hunting wolves, um, I've I've heard of a lot of elk areas, and I've seen the seen it with my own eyes a lot of elk areas that are doing really well i filmed some elk hunts and this last year i only filmed elk hunts down in colorado which colorado is doing really well for elk as well but yeah um, i grew they... up in western wyoming and uh the elk hunting from now since i graduated high school is way better so i've been trying to draw a tag back where i grew up so heck yeah now didn't colorado change up the laws wasn't it like last year or it might be this year that uh they're not really they're not doing too many over-the-counter tags now yeah, they, they really, they did cut back a little bit. Idaho is the state that really, really cut back on uh, non-resident tags. Um, they made a pretty massive shift away from, from non-resident tags compared to what they did have. But um, in some areas, Colorado has scaled back as well. Mm -hmm. Now, have y'all hunted in Arizona and New Mexico anywhere for that for elk? Not for elk. I've never hunted New Mexico or Arizona for elk, actually. Okay. I was just, I've had a couple guys that I shot with or shot tournament where I shot tournaments back in the day. He went over to New Mexico and he shot a freaking dandy, and I mean it was a yeah. big old boy. Yeah, those those better those prime areas in Arizona and New Mexico. I mean they don't have the predators that we we have up here, and it's really great habitat for them. So they they have you know they kind of have the great recipe down there for sure. Now, how do y'all? What's y'all's strategy on hunting elk? You know, it really depends on where you're at. Unfortunately, a lot of public land up here gets absolutely hammered. Mm -hmm. um so you know you and that's probably not hunters it's probably hikers and campers and stuff too right well in the fall it's mostly hunters if, if the weather's you know kind of down from being nice and it's a little bit cold out there you're not going to bump into too many people out there that aren't hunting mm -hmm. um so there's there's a couple areas where unfortunately the, the the first task in the morning is just to be the first first hunters that bump the group elk or whatever and then for the rest of the day it kind of just sounds like world war three <laughs> um there's if you work at it, you can definitely get back into the backcountry away from people. But then you're, but then you're looking at, you know, carrying an elk out five, six miles on foot is not a fun task either. So, oh, I bet, man. Um, yeah, with, with the, the guys that go back in with horses and stuff, they they have a lot. Uh, more, I would say more consistent luck than you know, mm -hmm. kind of the people well, that are willing to walk. They could probably around, get yeah. back to the untouched areas. Like I know, they, I don't know if you're familiar with the guy from Stalker Stick Bows, South Cox. Have you heard of him? Uh. -uh. Well, he uses llamas. He's on YouTube. Oh, yep. And he this one cool video is probably the coolest one I've seen. He shot this one bullet like five yards with one of his stick bows, and it was pretty cool. Oh, that's super cool. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> which I've seen a lot of guys use goats and llamas and stuff on you. Like I said, I'm totally watching this on YouTube. And yeah. I can see how that really pay off. Because <laughs> you slap that For sucker sure. on them, they just strike out. 
there's a couple of uh, of, a, uh, of wilderness areas. And the Bob Marsh Wilderness is one of them up here in Montana. It's one of the largest wilderness areas that's continuous in lower 48. And uh, you can actually rifle hunt in there in September, which is uh, usually rifle season not open until uh, mid-October here. Um, but being able to hunt the rut with a rifle way, way back in those big wilderness areas is something that I've always wanted to do. But it's one of those things that kind of have to save up, bite the bullet, and hire an outfitter to take you in there for a few days for sure. That's why I'm kind of tossing around the idea because I've talked to some guys on here. They'll do a DIY elk hunts, and they say, you can do it and all that. But for my first time, I'm I'm kind of on the fence. I think I'm just going to pay for an outfitter. That way I kind of know what to do. And then maybe next yep. year or the year after try and do a DIY elk hunt. Yeah, for sure. And definitely making a priority for, for me anyways, the, the new priority has become making videos. So, you know, mm. for me, if we're trying to, to maximize our time and our success rates, that's, that kind of brings guided hunts into, into uh, the way to go for us. Actually, it's, you know, it's, we've hunted mm. a lot on our own and killed a lot of animals on our own, but man, those guys, you know, there's a lot of guys out there that they know a lot. They're very experienced and, even just get to hang out with them and learn from them is a, is a worthwhile thing for sure. Oh, for sure. I mean, especially when you're trying to do like make a production video, you got to have content and you got to be somewhat successful or no one's going to watch, you know? Yeah, for sure. Once in a while you'll get away with, away with a video that doesn't have a, a dirt nap in it, but that isn't very often. So <laughs> yeah, I wish that, to be honest, it shows, I mean, hunt, hunting, you're not going to get something every time. So it's good to show people that you're not for successful sure. every time. And sometimes the unsuccessful hunt is the most learning hunt, especially for me with whitetail yeah. down here in South Georgia. Oh yeah. Now, how about whitetail? Yeah, Do y'all hunt any up there? Yeah, there's uh, they're up here in Northwest Montana. They're definitely our most plentiful deer. If you move over into Eastern Montana, and uh, I mean they're everywhere. They're they're east to west, north to south here, but it just kind of depends on the area of your state of the state you're in, whether they're the most common or mule deer are the most common, but we've got some big ones. I killed a pretty good one a couple of years ago, um, filming for a buddy of mine. Um, he was hunting, I was filming, we were after wolves, but we ended up just bumping into a really, really nice whitetail, but he actually had had his heart set on a really nice muley he was chasing all fall. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, when he, when that deer walked out and I said, man, you should kill that deer. It's a super nice deer. And he goes, no, I'm going to hold out for the muley I've been chasing. I was like, well, cool. Here's the video camera. I'm going to kill that deer. <laughs> yeah. Now, do the mule deer and whitetail tags kind of coincide where you can use either one if you, whatever opportunity presents itself first? Yeah. It, yeah. You really got to pay attention to the regs in Montana because some areas are, you know, any whitetail or any buck mule deer or, you know, in some areas I've hunted up here is uh, the general tag is any whitetail, but a buck mule deer is a draw only. So it really kind of depends on the area, but there there are a couple of areas in Montana that on a general tag you could kill any deer that walks. Oh, badass! Um, you just yeah, you just got to really pay attention to where you're at. I heard that. Now talking about mule deer, that's another animal I def because I want to get. Like I say it's just grand grandiose thinking. I want to be able to take every big game animal on North America, either that be with a bow or oh, rifle. Definitely. I don't care. Yeah. I'm not too proud. <laughs> I'll take it however I can get it. Yeah, no. That's the same with me. That's awesome. I'm the type, I'll have my bow in my hand, but you bet your ass I'll have my rifle on my pack. <laughs> because if he stretches yeah, out too far, sure. he ain't getting away. Yeah, definitely. That's a, you got to have the tool in the toolbox, that's for sure. Yeah. So how do y'all uh, hunt mule deer? Is it kind of the same way for whitetail or kind of glassing? You know, it, that also really depends on the country you're in. You know, eastern Montana, I lived over there for a couple of years, and that is... That is wide open prairie, and uh, there's chunks of that country where there's not a tree in sight, but there's a lot of coolies and draws and ravines that hold a ton of mule deer. Mm -hmm. um, and then out here, I, I live in northwest Montana now where the mule deer numbers are a little bit lower, um, but up here, glassing is tough because it's so thick. You're not going to have a lot of wide open spaces. It's a lot of mountains that are just covered in timber. Mm -hmm. um, and, then, and central Montana kind of has the mix. You know, you're hunting some timbered mountains, but there is a lot of places to glass from. Um, so it, it honestly just kind of depends on where you're at. Um, and, but the best way, I, I think one of the most fun ways is to kind of hunt that mid range where there's some mountains, there's some timber, but you can sit and glass a lot of country and spot a buck from a long ways away. Um, mule deer, especially I've killed a lot of white tails that they knew I was there. Um, and I haven't killed a ton of mule deer. Uh, I mean, I've killed mule deer that knew I was there, but by the time they knew it, I was too close. Yeah. Are um, they a little so, more. I mean, whitetail, they're always switched on, no matter what. But our mule deer are a little more, yeah. 
lax with it or they're pretty keyed on their keyed on their surroundings too you know i i think a, a young a young mule deer buck is probably one of the easiest things to kill and uh one of the hardest things to kill is a uh, is an old bruiser mm-hmm. um you know it's it's kind of the difference between the two those ones that live long enough to to know better they're tough they're really tough to hunt i bet now let me i'm just what do what do mule deer tend to like i say geography wise where do you tend to find them the most you know the their numbers are pretty low up here in northeast montana where it's thick and it's a lot more it's more humid up here and i see less of them i've seen them up here but i do see less of them i i really if there's a mix of kind of timber and high sagebrush plateaus and flats um, I see, you know, they'll, you'll find quite a few of them in there as well. And then eastern Montana, too, those wide-open prairies with, you know, the Yellowstone and the Missouri River breaks that go through there. There's a lot of them in there as well. Um, you know, if they have cover, but they also have room to be able to see quite a bit, um, mm-hmm. then then you'll probably, that's a pretty good spot to look for them. I think they're kind of a mix. You know, I think the whitetails up here, they'll stick to thicker country where they don't, they're not quite as able to see very far. And uh, the antelope, they'll stick in the wide open places where they can see super far and they tend to stay away from any kind of timber. Not always, but mostly. Yeah. And I think muleys are kind of in the middle ground of those two. Okay. Because I know that antelope, man, they're in their vision like 10x times ours because them suckers almost have like an eagle eye. Oh, yeah. Them and sheep. Those and, those and sheep, they have pretty good eyesight. That's crazy. <laughs> now, uh, golly. What's your biggest mule deer you've taken so far? Um, I didn't measure. I haven't, you know, I've never actually killed anything that I've measured out. Um, my brother likes to tape stuff out and see what it's at. And that's, for me, that's never been a huge priority. But yeah, I killed a, can't a eat the horns. six mule deer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If it's, got, if it's got a decent rack on it, we're going after it. But I've, uh, I killed a, a, a four by six mule deer. Um, he has a really cool clump. You know, he has the frame just of a regular 4x4, four four, but then on his right side, the top two have a clump of four points that come up. And it's pretty cool. He's definitely the, the as far as inches go, he's the biggest mule deer I've ever killed. I don't know how wide he is inside. He's not crazy. But mm-hmm. the oldest mule deer I've ever killed was actually one of my favorite bucks that I've ever taken. He was a super, super wide 3x3, three three, but he had, I mean, his mass was almost non-existent. He was, he was just... Yeah, he was the hand got the goody out of him then. Is beyond his better yeah, years. Super wide frame, out past his ears, just an old three by three. Um, he was just he was gray and white all the way through him. He was a super old deer, and that was one of my favorite hunts in South uh, South Central Montana. That was a pretty cool deer that I took. So now, how did the older deer taste? Because I've heard mule deer have a little awesome. bit different taste than whitetail. Yeah, he was awesome, um, but I killed him on public land coming <laughs> up out of private land of an alfalfa field. So I, yeah. you know, I think. Yeah, that makes a big difference of what they've been eating all summer for sure. So. Oh yeah, that's uh, down here. We got some properties, and they got big alfalfa fields. And this past weekend, actually, we had a deer get hit. actually two deers. I had a friend that's law enforcement down here call me. He's like, "Hey, I need help getting these deer." And you could see where one deer got hit on this other road, and the other one uh, you don't know where they're at, but it was Rocky Ford. And I'd say as a crow flies, it's probably like five miles away. But there was this huge uh-huh. alfalfa field where I where this doe got hit. And you, when we cut her open and got her open, man, her poop was like neon green as that grass. It was as you could tell yeah. she had been tearing it up in there. Yep. But that's awesome. Heck yeah, man. Now, uh, do you get into archery hunting any, or how long have you been shooting a bow? So uh, my wife and I bought bows together. I think it was like about three years ago. Now I didn't go bow hunting or anything, but shot it for a couple of years. Um, you know, got pretty confident with it and a couple of years ago i decided you know what it's archery season because our archery season start i don't know about the same as you guys but it's about a month before rifle season starts. yeah it's, Depending on ours is in september 15th is when our for whitetail is when it starts around here oh gotcha yeah and so it's we hotter than hell too <laughs> yeah yeah i had a deer tag a couple of years ago that the archery season opened september 1st um so i you know i didn't really expect anything but i went plugging away just walking around the hills down there and uh after one day i didn't see a single deer all day i was up pretty high in the mountains and uh walking back to the truck and um it was uh i bumped into a black bear um uh, just eating berries right on the trail mm-hmm. and uh you know it's just kind of the event unfolded i ended up about 15 yards away from this bear and he wasn't a giant bear but he was a mature boar so i ended up 
sticking an arrow in him at 15.2 yards, I actually ranged the shot after I took it. Shit, um, that's in your yeah, grill, man. Was, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was real close. <laughs> oh, especially with the bow <laughs> in the hand. really, really close. <laughs> what kind of bow you shoot? Oh, yeah, I shoot a Hoyt RX-1. Okay, and, cool. Uh, yep, and uh, Kent, I just shoot a fixed broadhead, kind of see them. That's know, the best way, man. I probably... With with yep, bow hunting, yep. you got enough shit going against you. <laughs> the last thing you need is yeah. to worry about a mechanical failing or not opening up. Yeah, you know, I uh, I find what I like and what it works, and I try not to veer from it too much. Mm-hmm. It seem like they did. I mean, they did the job on that bear. He didn't go very far and piled up, and I kind of sat down. The whole thing happened in about, I don't know, 60 seconds or so, and I kind of sat down and had to process what exactly just happened to me. There was no skill involved. He just ended up in my lap. So (laughs) (laughs) hey, take what the wood gives you, man. But that's just, that's crazy. It goes to show the lethality of an arrow because my uncle, he went to British Columbia and he shot a black bear with a 375 H and H. And they said that bear still ran about 300 yards up into the alders. Oh, dang. Yeah. And he, he said both shoulders were just smashed. But that arrow, man, oh. if you put it in the right spot, it's deadly. Yeah, yep. It was uh, right in the lungs and got the top of his heart, and it was that was uh, he didn't go very far. Oh, yeah. That's the off switch right there now. <laughs> yep. What kind of broadhead? You said it was a fix. Is it like a Montec or like a three-blade or two-blade? Uh, three-blade, 100-grain. Uh, the Montec is what I do. The blue package, I think, is the one. Yeah, the Montec G5, that's, that's what I use, and I still use even with yep, my longbow. the same one that I use. And I've actually, we were out hunting down here in South Georgia. We were hunting whitetail and this hog popped out on the road. We were on a hunting club. So we were, we were actually leaving and this hog come out. It was about 200 yards from the gate. And uh, I go to, my dad was driving and I go to slide an air down my wrist. And I was sitting there watching the hog. He was just meandering in the water. There's a little bit of water in the ditch. And uh, I get out, bust this hog, shoot him. He don't run but 10 yards and piles up. Well, we get standing there and let, while he's dying, I start feeling something wet on my left leg on the inside. And I look down no. and there's about a two inch cut through my denim jeans that that oh, Montec G5 cut me. And dude, it looked like I poured Kool-Aid down in my boot and I didn't even feel it, which I mean with the adrenaline pumping too, because it was a big old uh, Russian boar hog, you know, the big old ridge yeah. across their back and all that. But it, I mean, them things are sharper than hell and they're easy to sharpen too. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty wicked. They uh, they do seem like they'll they'll slice something open with very little, very <laughs> don't little take pressure. Much. But uh, well, man, we're getting on about an hour here. If you want to plug yourself and tell people where they can find you, I don't want to keep you too late tonight. I know it's just Sunday evening. I don't want to keep you from your family. <laughs> yeah, no, really appreciate it. I uh, we have uh, bluecreekoutdoors.com. We you know once in a while somebody goes on there and buys a hat or something like that. But the main the main thing is the YouTube channel. It's just under Blue Creek Outdoors. We're We've kicked out at least one video every month for for a little bit now, and we're trying to mm-hmm. up that a little bit. So yeah, just following along on the Blue Creek Outdoors YouTube channel would be awesome, and we're on Facebook and Instagram as well. But yeah, no, we're just trying to plug away. And you know, one of my things is that uh, you know the good Lord made a really big Earth, and I'd like to see all of it. And if I'm that lucky, then I need to be able to share it with everybody that uh, that doesn't get to do something like that. So hopefully, uh, we're making videos that people enjoy watching and. Uh, Look, something to look forward to themselves if they want to set a goal to go do some of that stuff. So. Oh, for sure. And it sounds like you're chipping away, man. <laughs> I gotta say, you've done checked a bunch of boxes on my list. Yeah, yeah, we're working on it. We, we, uh, and, uh, you know, my wife, uh, my wife, you know, she's got a good job and, uh, we talked about it for a long time and kind of planned on it. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know a lot of, uh, a lot of strong women that would, uh, you know, their husband comes to them and says they want to quit their, quit their job that has them at home on nights, weekends, and holidays to go start a YouTube channel that has me gone. You know, I did it like 170 days away from home last year. So that's, yeah. uh, that's the thing about, uh, I'd say a hunter's wife is a different breed of animal. I will say that. Yeah. They are understanding yeah. independent yeah. women. <laughs> yeah. Cause mine's uh, the same way. Uh, I'll go out for a five day hunt and leave her with the kids. I'm truly thankful for her. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, between her and, her and God, that's what's driving us forward. So she's uh, she's definitely awesome for it. So, but yeah, just uh, people watching along and following along, it means a whole lot to us. So I'd really appreciate it. Heck yeah, man! Like I say, I'll share all y'all stuff and tag y'all on the post. And you said y'all put out about a video a month. Is has that how many? How long have y'all been doing this all together? How long has Blue Creek been going? So I 
very first started it, I think the first video we dropped was in the fall of like December of 2019 or something like that. And had a little bit of a inconsistent start, but um, I, I stopped te- two years ago. I was finishing up my last my last year of teaching. So since then, we've really tried to be more consistent, and uh, we're kind of getting into our own with getting scheduling and things like that. And we really is we're getting into the groove of being able to put out stuff way more consistently. So I heard that, and that's the name of the game too, with video photography, even with this podcast, just keeping consistent. Because once people start yeah. locking and watching you, they want that content on the regular. <laughs> Yes, they do. Yes, they do. It makes uh, it makes it more fun, but also a little more stressful. But that stress is kind of what uh, makes a fine tuning machine. So. Oh yeah, for sure. And that's like even doing this podcast for me. I, I mean, I get nervous every time before I do one. But usually about ten minutes in, that subsides. But that tells me though I yeah. like it. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's super awesome. And the yeah, day that and feeling stops, grind too. Yeah, the day that feeling stops, I'll I'll quit podcasting, which I don't plan on quitting. I'm gonna go till the day I die. If anything. It'll give my family and my grandkids and whoever else. Because, I mean, it's on the Internet. That's the good thing about it. It's going to be there forever yeah. as long as it's up. Yeah. But. Yeah, that's awesome. Heck, yeah, man. Although, I want to, again, thank you for coming on and especially doing it again. I'm sorry for the first time. I don't know what the heck happened. Yeah, no worries. But, man, you have a good evening yeah. and a safe rest of y'all season. And good luck next year. Yeah, you as well. Appreciate it. I really appreciate you taking the time to have me on. I really do. All right, man. I appreciate it. We'll have to have you all on again, especially your partner. We'll have to come on and do a full episode. It'll be a fun Yeah, one. that'd be awesome for sure. All right, man. Well, you have a good evening. You as well. Thanks. Catch you later. Bye.